It's the Summer Olympics, London 2012. The USA is at the starting line of the Team Pursuit Cycling event at the Velodrome. The women representing the U.S. are going for gold against Britain. The oldest member of three is a 39-year-old cyclist who nearly died from anorexia and a drug addiction years ago. This national champion, now on the world stage, has come a very long way since then and is about to ride into the record books. I knew I couldn't go back. Your you just life. put it out there. She said you've got less than a year to live. Stuck even Luck deeper. is the residue of design. Nobody else was doing it, so I couldn't. That I. was the turning point. Welcome to the Bucket Podcast with Phil Cogan. Every week I talk to mavericks, disruptors, and innovators. People who ditch the excuses, swerve off the predictable road, and epitomize what it means to ticket before you kick it. I am forever inspired by people taking control of their own lives. Dotsie Bausch is a seven-time USA cycling national champion, a two-time Pan American champion, and an Olympic silver medalist. Titles all achieved in a sport that she didn't start until she was 26 years old. This former runway model initially took up cycling to recover from cocaine use and an eating disorder. By the time she got help, Dotsie, who is foot eight, weighed less than 100 pounds. She was desperate and suicidal. Something had to change. Dotsie fought hard to regain control of her life and find a reason to live. She poured everything into getting strong and healthy again, vowing never to go back to the hell she'd created. And it paid off in ways she could never have imagined. Today, this record-breaking athlete, who overcame unbelievable odds to become an Olympian, is a staunch advocate for animal rights. She promotes a vegan lifestyle for everyone, especially athletes, who she says can perform as well on a plant-based diet. Dotsie is living proof of that. She is also a shining example of someone who, after hitting rock bottom, was able to reinvent herself and achieve the seemingly impossible, becoming a champion not only in the world of cycling, but to all people who she inspires and motivates to make a better life for themselves. This is Dotsie's incredible story. Dotsie Bausch, and we are in Santa Monica, California. Uh, so we were just talking about the fact that 21 years ago. Isn't it, it 19? Is it 99? It was 98. Oh, okay. So yeah. 20. I'm ah. uh, sorry, 20 years ago. You're right. So 20 <sighs> years ago. I really know that we needed to start with that. Not very far away from here. Mm-hmm. We met for the very first time and it was because of bicycles. Yes. And bicycles being such a huge part of your life. And yet at that stage, when we met, and I think you were 26. I think probably so. Yes, yes, yes. Without yes, giving yes. away your age. Right. But I'm um, sorry that. about that. Oops. <laughs> um, anyway, you were in your mid 20s somewhere. Um, but you really didn't have a lot to do with bicycles at that time. If I'm not mistaken, right. it was one of your first sort of major bike rides. Yes, I hadn't started my career at all. I was just starting to, d- to dabble in it. I was healing from my eating disorder and just trying to feel good in my own skin and move my body and enjoy the freedom of the mountains in Santa Monica. So we were doing a show, it was called Adventure Crazy. It was for the Discovery Channel and it was sort of like a test first show of that series. And the idea was that we biked from here down to Long Beach. We caught the ferry, we went out to Catalina and then a group of us, including yourself, we we raced a sailboat all the way <laughs> from Avalon to Two Harbors. Do you remember that? Yes, I do. And I yeah. remember the prize at the end. I mean, there was a high caliber group. So in this high caliber 
caliber group. There's this woman, Dotsie. <laughs> and and Dotsie's riding her bike for like the first time. And, and it was not a good bike. <laughs> and it wasn't a great bike. But out of nowhere, Dotsie goes blasting past a, a bunch of us and just climbs up the hill. And I remember Jeff said, man, this woman knows how to ride a bike. And it was kind of your first time ever riding a bike. And I think that was the sign that, wow, I think there's maybe something special in those legs. Maybe I should consider doing this a little few more years. Yeah. Now, jump to a little while later when I then find out that you really do have this incredible talent for riding a bike. But if I'm not mistaken, that was the first time that you kind of showed the pistons to the world like your yeah your, your cycling so. pistons i had decided maybe just a few months before that that if i was going to pursue cycling which i just had in my head i had like you said i hadn't raced yet i hadn't done my first bike race yet at right. that point but i thought you know i need to get some miles in and if i'm going to quit my day job which was in production making good money i'm going to make no money and i'm going to become a bike messenger in downtown los angeles yeah because i lived on the beach in venice at the end of rose yep. and the beach so it's 26 miles downtown obviously the same home and you do about 15 miles a day there as you're messengering. So at that point I was working as a Los Angeles, downtown Los Angeles bike messenger with 50 dudes. Cause there was not one single woman that was bike messengering. But, um, I picked up a lot of skills from those guys because I started cycling so late that I, you know, I was, I, when I started, I was scary in the Peloton because so many had started at, 10 years of age yeah. or maybe 15 and I didn't have any of the skill set so you know I couldn't hop curbs which is you know I couldn't hop uh, rocks big rocks in there. I couldn't hop anything which you need to be able to do right especially to in get downtown Los Angeles where yes. the roads can get a little rough yes and on the way to downtown <laughs> so, so jumping back to how you ended up there that day because at that point you you even though you were a young person you had been through you'd been to hell and back yeah, that's a good way to put it. I think a lot of people have in their lives, right? You know, so you um, you go deep into um, the hollows of horror, and and and, it, and and a lot of people don't come back. For me, it was um, uh, kind of a fork in the road that that made me realize I wanted to come back. But I was um, diagnosed with anorexia and bulimia. And, um, How old were you then? Put in treatment. Um, Twenty one. Okay. 20 when it really first started had, had you been dealing with it as a teenager no, like no not years? at all no, no. no problems whatsoever it was a, it was a kind of a like a mid-college thing yeah um that uh, that led to a cocaine addiction and so i was just deep in um you know self-berating um and uh just uh feeling like i was at the bottom of of the barrel and and worth nothing and and really didn't really see any reason to go on so um tried to take my life a couple times and, and, and wasn't successful, obviously. And that's when I kind of hit that fork in the road that I am going to die from this if I don't do try something. to do something and take another path. A huge, I mean, just unbelievable strength to be able to, A, realize that you need to do that because people who suffer, you know, have a family member who suffered from anorexia and when they're so in such a, a deep dark place it's very difficult to get to them to have them realize what they're really going through meaning yeah. for them to just acknowledge that they are suffering from something yeah they're, it's a denial i thing. would say would it, there is some denial but i would make a correction if that's okay that yes, it wasn't my strength most of those women and men are very strong 
And that's why they've been able to starve themselves. It's really, really hard to starve yourself. Yeah. Your, everything your body is made of is to survive, right? That's, that's, that's all our bodies are ever doing at any given period of any given day. And so they're fighting you tooth and nail every minute that you're starving yourself. Um, so I wasn't, I wasn't all that strong. Um, I, I think I was just one of the lucky ones in terms of there was something inside of me that said, if I die, that's going to be really lame for my family. Mm. And so I want to show them that I'm going to try to live. I won't be successful. I don't really want to. And I don't really think I can get better. I don't see my life outside of anorexia and, and drugs. But I got to show them that I tried because then when I die, they'll at least be able to know that I tried. <laughs> I don't even, I don't know what that rationale, rationale comes from, but that's what the space that I was in. Cause I think they would have been just as sad whether I tried or didn't try, mm. but that's, that's what I told myself. And on that beginning of that journey, I just had the right person at the right time, the right therapist. Cause I'd had a lot of different therapists and it had been an inpatient treatment mm -hmm. and outpatient treatment and all of it. And it was just and you got the right person. Got the right person. That, what would you say to your yourself if you could go back with the wisdom you have now and yeah. the journey that you've been through in life? If you could go back and talk to yourself then, as that young person, mm -hmm. what would you say to yourself? What was what was what was the what was missing in your life at that point? Yeah. Something that you would have heard that would have helped you. It's hard to 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 do that because. I am who I am because of those years. So mm. I don't know that I would have wanted to tell my 20 oh, year old see. self, like, don't go down this path. Right. I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. Maybe I'd be doing something else that I like. I have no right. idea, but it's really, it's difficult to go back and say erase a, a whole period of my life that was right. really gnarly and hard, but it was what came out of it was, was good or to me it's good. Um, well, maybe but I another think question, maybe, yeah. another question might be then, what would you say to another 20 year old right. woman right. now? I think, and I do say, because I, 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 I mentor a, a fair amount of them um, over the years, um, is, is just the, the simple truth that you're worthy. And that's what's missing in, mm. in that period of time. Now, that's not, uh, oh, thanks, I'm worthy. Let me, let me, let me get on that and, and, and heal. But it's words that they've maybe never heard before, mm. that maybe no one ever thought to tell them because most people are just saying, you know, you just need to eat, you need to eat more, you just need, eat a cheeseburger and you'll mm. feel better. Because nobody understands eating disorders. They don't understand it as a disease. They don't understand it, that it is uh, very similar to any other addiction that we have, whether it's sex, drugs, alcohol, whatever it might be, that you're acting out on inner pain. Mm. And that's just our way of, of, of acting out. It just was the poison that we picked, mm. that I picked, that other eating disorder sufferers picked. It's not, uh, it's very rarely just specifically about, I want to be skinny. Some of it is about, I would like to disappear from the planet. I did have those feelings. And the smaller you get, the less noticed you get. Mm -hmm. just from anybody, somebody on the street or friends, you know, they, they stop inviting you places. They stop wanting you around. You're sick. You're kind of scary looking. And, um, so wanting to disappear, uh, yes, is, is something that happens, but it's very rarely like, I just want to be really skinny. So now I'm going to stop eating as of tomorrow at 8am. That's, that's not how it goes. For me, it was trying to assert some control over my life where I felt very out of control. So, um, 
some addiction is about asserting control. Some addiction is about numbing out from the pain. Many addictions are about numbing out from the pain, especially drugs and alcohol, but also an eating disorder. Because as you go along, the more you starve yourself, the more euphoric the feeling is. And it's a high. And it's, it, it rivaled the cocaine high. What, what does it feel like? What? It's euphoric. Your body hits this state where, um, I mean, it's definitely out of homeostasis, but it feels like um, the opioid sister of homeostasis where it's like everything feels really good. I've never heard that before. Cal- yeah. Oh, it's it's very common. It's And I, and I mean, I think uh, whoever designed us uh, made it that way because as we know in history, many, many people have actually starved to death, not eating disorders, right? In, in, in uh, scenarios in history. And um, it makes those final days painless because so, you hit that euphoric state. So that euphoric state, was that where the cocaine came in, where you thought maybe I can duplicate it with cocaine so I can have like a... I just was dealing with so much self-misery and hatred that cocaine was just a way to escape and mm. pretend like all of that wasn't going on. So I could go out, so I could be social because I'm a um, pretty extreme introvert by nature. And so when I had my eating disorder, I didn't leave the house, like oh, ever really. I couldn't Which work so- anymore. I couldn't have friendships. I couldn't keep relationships. So the first time I met you, I, I remember just thinking what an extrovert, you know, like meeting you the first time, you're so vivacious and full of energy and everything. I, I, I didn't know, you know, your history at that point. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to imagine you as someone that locked yourself away. Yeah. I mean, you know, introversion, extroversion is 75% of the world are extroverts. So introverts are definitely in the minority. And it doesn't mean that you, you know, can't speak in public or you can't have a, uh, a rich, interesting conversation with people. It just means that when you need to recharge your batteries, you need to be alone. Like I don't gain energy from being, um, in groups of people or even small groups of people. Um, I gain energy from being alone or recharge my batteries by being alone or with my husband or a really, really dear friend. Am I right? that when when you were going through this challenging time you would get on like a stepping machine and you'd be on it you could be on it for eight hours and just yeah, go and go yeah. and go you're not really thinking clearly now i am going to go right. like we would normally now right this is this it would just it just became this is just what i did and and the and the um kind of process that i had each day each day or each week i would add more misery onto the process so maybe i was doing a couple of hours in the stairmaster and then you know i don't even know how a body takes eight hours. I mean, I took a few breaks, but I would, yes, I would literally spend all day there. Like, were you modeling during this time? Were you? No, I, no. Cause I could, I couldn't, I wasn't functioning. You you weren't functioning. Right. Right. At the beginning I was. Oh, before that. Well, the beginning of my eating disorder, which really had nothing to do with modeling, uh, except for the fact that I felt like I wasn't doing what I really wanted to do with my life. Yeah. And so that's when that sort of, oh, I, I, I had graduated college and I'd majored in journalism and I did an internship my senior year in journalism and I, um, in entertainment news and I hated it. And I, so I had that feeling of, oh my gosh, I just did four years of this and I was ready to go, you know, light the world on fire as a journalist. And I hated everything about it. And so what am I going to do now? Am I going to go back to school? Am I going to, and I just started, oh, I kind of got this, these modeling gigs. I'm like, well, I'll make some money. I'll move to New York and do this. And I, I just felt scared and out of control and very um, fearful for my future. I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. And that is oh, a type A, right? Like that's a horrible feeling to have. So yeah. it, it was more because I was like, well, modeling's not it, but you have to make a living. And I had school loans to pay back. So 
So this therapist who sounds like helped save mm. your life. Yeah. Um, tell us about your therapist. Well, I think the big difference between the others and her were the ones before, um, they were doing quite a bit of information gathering the first, you know, six sessions, which is a lot. And I just felt always very judged by them. Like they were the typical, you know, psychiatrist with the glasses down on their nose and they had like the yellow legal pad with the pen. And they so just, it felt impersonal. Didn't yeah. It? And they're just, I'm like, they just were writing a lot. And mm. I just was like, what are you writing about me over there? You like know, you just, wanted that connection. Yeah. Like put the pad down. Like and you should be me. good enough so that we can have a conversation in that. So I had had like three experiences with different ones in Philadelphia and New York. And so, um, the, the, the therapist that I met out here, um, I answered or I saw an ad in the LA weekly. Mm-hmm. It was in the back when there was ads, little, Tiny when ads. people read newspapers. When people, back when a lot of things are different than they are now. <laughs> um, and she was speaking um, at the basement of a Borders bookstore on like fear and anxiety. And I don't know why that caught, I mean, I definitely was, have, I, was I, I definitely had a lot of anxiety. I don't know about fear, but I was dealing with a lot of anxiety. Um, and something just told me to go. And so I went Thank and she God. spoke. Yeah, I mean, it's because it, it was really kind of, random that I, it was, you know, it was a teeny tiny, it wasn't even an ad. It was just a, here's things to do this week. But it spoke to you. Yeah. Yeah. So I went and I went up to her afterwards and I said, do you do private work? I need help now. Um, and she did. And so her, the way that she does her therapy, she, she calls it meditation therapy, but what it really consists of, first of all, she spent like a day trying to understand my past. And then she said, listen, you, you, we got to get working now. We'll talk about your childhood in six months, which is what we did. And then we dove into some stuff and uncovered some things. But, um, so she used, um, blue sticky dots, um, that I had, so I had to go to CVS and buy these little, you know, little blue sticky dots and I had to put them on trigger places in my home. So the refrigerator, the toilet, cause by this point I'm in full blown bulimia. And, um, I had, um, uh, I also had an anger stick that she gave me. So let's just say I wanted to binge and purge, go mm-hmm. to the refrigerator, see the blue dot. This is what I had to do. I had to stop and sit and it could be for two seconds or if I could make it to like 10 just seconds, great, right just sit right there and feel in my physical body where the pain and anxiety was residing. For me, it was almost always in my mid chest, but some people it's in their head, in their throat, in their deep belly, in their back. Identify that because I had zero connection with my body by that point. I didn't know when I was hungry, when I was not hungry. I didn't, you know, the, you my whole system, not at all. It was, there were two different, completely separate entities, my brain and emotion and my, and my body. So she made me identify and feel what was happening. So, um, and if I still wanted to binge, I could do that, but I had to do that first. Well, that seemed like a pretty good deal to me. I can still, you, you can know, still get what you want. Yeah, still get what I want. I'll do this little thing because I'm paying for it. And, you know, she seems like she's got some ideas and we'll, we'll roll with it. Um, well, of course, over time, I mean, I would find myself over a couple of years meditating in the kitchen for two hours. I mean, wow. like really identifying it. And then, you know, I won't go through all of the different aspects and questions that she would take. Then she made a meditation tape for me that I would take myself through and identify. But if I did binge and purge and then I started the self-hatred and the self-loathing, I had an anger stick that we used to somewhere to put that, that self 
hatred to take it out of your body, to take it out of my body and place and in the anger somewhere. stick. So it was like, I mean, that looked like a crazy person because I it was it, you were down on all fours with the anger stick. It's just a towel rolled up in a bunch of rubber bands, which I still have. Um, and this woman sounds amazing. She's insane. Wow. Like, just I mean, saved my life. I'm sure saved many. She's still. I'm always sending people to her. <laughs> really. And some of them connect with her, and some of them don't. Right. Like she and I just. Something worked. worked. And she worked. wasn't the person with the glasses and the pad. And she was looking at you. I don't remember ever you. writing anything down. Right. She was a genius. She, I mean, she, she just, was connecting with you, yeah. trying to understand you. Yeah. And yeah. this worked. I mean, but it took a long time. How many years? Yeah. It Well, I, I got better in the first six months. I mean, I got better. Well, I got better the, the first week, really. There's this quote, and you said, for all those listening out there, hear this. Um, once an anorexic, not always an anorexic. Yeah. It's it's not you, and you can beat it. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, in the alcoholism world, obviously, and I have great respect for the twelve steps, but yes. that is the kind of the um, base of it, right? Right. That where you you, you will, admit you that may, you're an alcoholic right, and you're always right, an alcoholic. Right. So with an eating disorder, you obviously don't have the option to never eat again, like they can never drink again. Yeah. Like they just can't touch it again. So we have to heal differently. Um, and, and we have to heal where you are not an anorexic anymore yeah. because you have to have food in your life three or four or five or six Exactly. Times a it's day. one thing to say, okay, no alcohol, yeah, but yeah. you have to Like eat. what are you going to do? So that is your problem is you're not doing it. So, right. um, you know, I know people who have died of anorexia. So there are people that are always... An anorexic, right? I mean, you know, with anything, most definitely. But I also know a lot of people that are living free of that terror in your head that is a twenty-four-seven conversation with yourself on Sounds how like you're going to better starve you can't yourself. Wake up from. You can't, right? Yeah, total nightmare. Any addiction, it's a nightmare. It's a complete nightmare that you're living twenty-four-seven. You know, um, and I'm living outside the confines of of, of, of that. 100%. And I could say that with my whole heart and my, my whole self in, in truth that I never, ever think about, you know, what I'm going to eat or what's in it or how many calories or weighing it or counting it. In fact, as I was starting to race and we had some nutritionists, you know, talking to us and coming on board, that was also for my therapist. I will never weigh anything. I will never count anything and I will never look at calorie content. Sadly, as an anorexic, you've memorized all calorie content of every single food in the universe. So I had to kind of, you know, some of that's gone now, but you just kind of know it, you know, because it's still in there. But um, those were rules that I had because, you know, as a cyclist, right? Like there's people weighing their food and (laughs) and I was like, this will not be a part of my regimen. I I won't go back in there. So yeah, I set some boundaries. I had to set some big boundaries. Absolutely. Um, And relearn everything you had practiced with your relationship with food. I mean, it's a whole yeah. change, right? Right. But this this whole idea of cycling and and uh, and that day that I met you, you'd never raced before. How do you go from being a bike messenger, someone who loves working out, mm-hmm. to then going, hey, you know what? I have got some amazing potential mm-hmm. to be a world class cyclist. How did that happen? <laughs> I know that that never happened. No, no. I, I it again back to my amazing therapist. She was the one that had me choose an activity that I didn't have any um, like negative connections with from my anorexic days. Yes, and that's when I chose the bike because 
I was like, well, I'm out. I had just, you know, I'd only been out in LA anyway, a little right? while, right? Yep. And it feels like it's pretty much sunny from what I can tell 365 days a year. And and uh, that sounds freeing and fun. And so how about I get a bike? And she kind of agreed to that deal. She said, I, I think you're onto something. I think that I think that sounds good. It's nothing to do with the gym. You're not going to. So th- that's how I chose that and was just riding and then yep. rode with you guys. It was kind of one of those things that where people from the outside a bunch of dudes because it's so male dominated, you know, way more back then than it than it is now even. Um, and shortly after that, I did the California AIDS ride right from San Francisco to yep. LA on that same horrible mountain bike. Once I started racing, it was like, you know, there was everyone was better than I was. So then it flip flopped real quick. But before I started racing, it was um, the guys at the AIDS ride. I was riding the front pack every day and they're like, this is not normal. No. Why, what, what well, it wasn't it, normal what you did when, in Catalina but I don't that know. day. I don't know. I'm like, okay, well, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm tired, but yeah. you know, I ate like seven cliff bars a day, hang. but, but I'm, <laughs> this is, this is pretty good. And I did the fifth day of the AIDS ride have to go to the hospital because of my cliff bar intake. Love cliff bars. What? Because you can't eat seven a day. Just side note no. for anyone listening. Constipation. Does, yeah. Like, that sounds yeah. like, um, Oh my God. Talk I'm, about packing bricks, I guess you could say. Exactly. I, it's like, uh, it does not sound like a good concoction for regular. It's like they didn't stop at the lunch stops, no. like the fast guys, right? You know that. Yeah. And I didn't realize they wouldn't. And so when I realized that the first day we're not stopping, right. I just stuffed like seven cliff bars in my pockets and was like, okay, I gotta, I gotta fuel myself. So yeah. not, not a good idea. No. But then once I started racing, I mean, yes, I moved to the categories, you know, I moved up from a, from a four to a one in a year, which is a kind of a short time but once yes, I got that's there very short amount of time I was terrible compared to everyone else you, I mean well, just you, terrible because of your bike handling skill I Everything. mean because you had the engine it was more yeah, but I didn't have that kind of engine I mean you know I I got on a, a the the U.S. national team early looking back on it it was it was way too early because we were um you know on that team is um Athletes who have been extraordinary athletes their whole life. From when they were teens. Amber like from, Neben, yeah. Kristen Armstrong, Kimberly Baldwin had been runners and triathletes. Like they had this engine that they had built from when they were quite young. Yeah. So I wasn't even in in the, that conversation. I mean, Kim Anderson, I mean, th- this is the team I'm on. So we're travel. we're going to Europe and I'm a domestique for like 10 minutes because I couldn't stay Which, with them longer than that. for those who don't know, means you're working for everybody else, meaning you're prepared to sacrifice yourself for your lead riders. Yeah. Exactly. And so we, I remember one race in Czech Republic, we were riding the day before, just like on a mellow ride. You just got off the plane. I'm riding next to Amber Neben. We are riding maybe 15 miles an hour, maybe 16. I mean, we're riding pretty mellow. And my heart rate was at 165. Hmm. And I look over and she's at 85. And I was like, Oh, wow. <laughs> I don't know. It was a climbing race. She was a team leader. I'm like, I'm not sure how long I'm going to be with you tomorrow. It could be <laughs> literally about six or seven seconds, but I will You just get on my wheel because that's all I'm going to have. I'm going to give you everything I got. That was the difference though. I mean, yeah. I, I didn't have an engine. I had like kind of, you know, but not that caliber of an engine. So I spent many years as a domestique just... Dying. Um, getting the shit kicked out of me. Yeah. Dying every race, every minute of every day. Like, why am I doing this? So how long from when you started racing are you now lining up to then become becoming an Olympian? Because it, it doesn't seem like it was that many years. Um, yeah, um, 12. Wow. I guess, yeah. And so everybody else has almost like got double the amount of time that you have on a bike in terms of racing. Like they started when they were 
yeah. probably 10, 11 or something like that. Yeah. I mean, as far as who we competed against at the Olympics, I mean, the, the, the Kiwis, the Brits, the Aussies, the Canadians, the, those teams were all in their early 20s. The Brits were 19, 20, and 21, those three girls. And I was... 40. I was, I was six months shy of my, five months shy of my 40th birthday. Unbelievable. So they were like my children. 2007 was your first time on the track. So you, you'd ridden on the road, but then 2007, you go to the track for the first time. And you were saying that when you looked at that track and you look at the banking, what's the banking? Uh, How many degrees? Uh, 44 degrees. 44 degrees, which is crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. Especially if you go to the top and look down, which I never did. On the corners, yeah. Like why this doesn't make any sense that tires are sticking. So when you get to the track, when do you realize, oh, it's the track. That's where I'm going to go. I'm going to get off the road and I'm going to go to the track. When, when did you make that well, decision? Well, I just, um, I was doing really well in what you and I know is prologue. So yeah. everyone out there, it's, a, it's just a much shorter time trial. They usually do prologues at the beginning of the Tour de France. So just kind of like set the GC. It's a, it's a little bit of a, of a show, but it's also a really hard race. But they're six or seven minutes. And I had, um, on, on an international level, I was winning those against the best in the world. So my coach was like, Ah, uh, this he, I had just have that middle distance talent. I just mm. have a good mix of aerobic and anaerobic capacity together. So he suggested I try the individual pursuit, and I also was um, ready to try something new. Like I was getting bored with the road. I was I was so I was thirty five, I guess, mm-hmm. at that, and I was like, I'm ready to retire. Let's go on new adventures in life. Let's let's do something else. I just was kind of like that was that was am- amazing, and and never thought I would get to the points that I did on the road. So it was also just uh, like okay, let's see how this track thing is because it scared me to death, and I liked that. I, I you know the, the, there's nothing more. You never feel more alive than when you're scared to death, ever. Um, and I miss that feeling sometimes now. Um, so that's that. It got me addicted pretty quickly. And so tell us, you go to the Olympics, and you do really well. Uh, you realize you're world class. And right. I mean, how amazing is that for you as a, as a, as a lifelong achievement? I mean, it was. It felt like a dream the whole time I was there. I was an older athlete, like I mentioned, so I. I really took the time and the energy to soak up that whole experience, right? Because I was like, I won't be here again. We're not going to be 44 at the, you know, no. So um, that was such a gift. I did a lot of sports psychology to to get to that place where I could soak it up because it's such an insane environment. And it's, you know, that's why, you know, multi-world champions go to Olympics and get seventh because it's just like, it's such an insane environment. Um, But really for me, the, the, the... I don't know the special part about it. By that point, I was not willing to suffer as much anymore just for myself. I had been suffering all through my eating disorder and my drug addiction and then suffering as a cyclist. And I was kind of to the point where I was, I didn't, it was like, why? Mm-hmm. But suffering for my teammates and the two other people I went to the line with who were counting on me nailing a performance on one moment in one given day was the coolest feeling I've ever had. Hey, tell us your team, uh, who your teammates were. Um, Sarah Hammer and Jenny Reed and Lauren Tamayo. Because you wow. take four, you ride three. Now they ride four and take five. Anyway, yeah. And then in the final, you're against Great Britain, right? Correct. Yeah. yeah. The big ride was against Australia to make it to the gold medal final. We'd never beaten Australia's A-team ever in history. We'd never beat the Kiwis' A-team ever in history. Um, we'd never beaten the Canadians ever. I mean, it, we were underdogs. I mean, they, the bookies had us at fifth place at best wow. in, in London. And, and Great Britain um, was, they were, right from the beginning, yeah. they were seated number one, right? They were expected they, Yeah, they win. broke the world record every time they rode. 
they were definitely a step above, but we qualified second, which was shocking to all of those other teams. Um, but it was close. The Brits were a second ahead of everyone, but everyone else was really close. And so when we raced Australia to make it to the gold medal final, um, we beat them by eight one hundredths of a second. Wow. And this is a three minute, 15 second event. Yeah. So that's a while for it to be, um, it was so, so, so tight, so close. And we were down by 1.6 seconds at one point, which to my knowledge, and I've done the research, nobody male or female has ever come back from that much of a deficit at a world championships or Olympics to, to, to come back from that. Cause that's, 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 that's a, that's a big deficit to come back in just three minutes at 1.6 seconds. Can you imagine when Catalina Island, if, if we'd had this, you were having this conversation and we said, you know, <laughs> Hey, listen, one day you're going to go to the Olympics. You're going to ride against the best riders in the world. And you're going to have an Olympic silver medal. So I probably would have quit immediately if someone had told me that, cause I would have been so scared to hear that. Yeah. You know, that's why you don't know these things ahead of time in your life. <laughs> well, we're really proud of you. I mean, it's really, really awesome. I, 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 if I'm not mistaken, you were a vegan when you did this. Is this correct? I was a vegetarian and moving towards veganism as I was uncovering more research and understanding. However, I was never a milk or yogurt uh, or cheese person. So it was the eggs that were still in a little bit of in, eggs were in, still in, in the your diet. diet. Right. What did your coaches think of you going for Olympic glory right. while you were right. a vegetarian? Yeah, they thought I was nuts for sure. Like they did. Why? I, well, I mean, you know, because we've been um, fed propaganda by the meat and dairy so industry they, for yeah. right. It's yeah. true for our whole entire lives that um, not only is it uh, help us to maintain good health, but uh, athletes produce the most premium performances off of that fuel source, which is BS. Um, it's actually really detrimental. Um, so I just, you know, they're trying to do the right thing, you yeah. know, and they're thinking, oh, you're, you're going to, you're going to take these whole food groups out that they're considering food groups. Uh, I don't even consider either, either one of them food. Um, but that's how they are thinking of it. And so it was just, I just think that they were fearful that, you know, I don't know. I was going to waste away, I guess. It's such a huge part of our diet, right? It Wherever is. you go, it is. um, we're encouraged to have milkshakes. We're encouraged to have right. milk and a cereal. It's yeah. uh, yogurts. Uh, I mean, it's everywhere, right? <laughs> Brought they, to you by the dairy industry. Yeah. They, they, it's, um, yeah, it's even on our, um, it's even in our food pyramid. But the United States Department of Agriculture creates our food pyramid. Mm. So that's obviously a conflict so of interest. So taking it, wheat is in there somewhere. Is yeah, it? yeah, right, exactly. Oh, right. Wheat and grains. And so, um, so I mean, just, just from the get-go, yeah. Um, we're the only species on a planet that eats the baby food of another species. There, is, there, there, is, there are no other species that still steal the mother's milk from another species. So it's a bit odd if we think about it that not only are we not... Uh, drinking our own mother's milk past mm -hmm. two, then we, or whatever age it might be, that then we transfer over to another species and drink that species baby food. It's strange really when you look at it, but then when you deconstruct what is in cow's milk and you deconstruct even the, the nutrients or, or, or whatever you might want to call them, they are excellent nutrients for a tiny baby calf to grow up into a couple thousand pound cow in a very short period of time. They gain, uh, you know, seven or eight pounds a day, wow. right? So when we're putting that f fluid in us, um, we are getting what the dairy industry is constantly saying 
that we're getting from this food is just the three macronutrients, carbohydrates, protein, and fat, which every food on the planet provides carbohydrates, protein, and fat. They're macronutrients. If it was alive, so if it's a plant, it was alive, it has all three of those things in it. So there's there's endless sources of things that have those three macronutrients in it. So it has those in it, but it, within that, you have a pretty gnarly cocktail and strong cocktail because this is a lactating mother of hormones. So you're getting estrogen, you're getting testosterone, you're getting progesterone, you're getting quite a bit of cortisol, which is our stress hormone that nobody needs more of. You're getting saturated fat, which inhibits our blood flow and increases inflammation as athletes and well, anyone. Um, You're getting trans fat, which is just disgusting, right? Like that's definitely um, hardening our arteries and and, and not even allowing our endothelial cell function to even to work or flow correctly. Um, You also get weird things, which which, uh, weird things I'm saying in terms of human beings. So there's all different molecules in species that aren't cross molecules in other species. So there's something in cow's milk that's just a sugar molecule, seems pretty benign. It's called NEU5GC, the human body makes NEU5AC, which is similar, but, but not the same. just not exactly the same. So things like that, when, when, when that comes into our system, the sugar molecule, our body doesn't recognize it, and our body creates antibodies. When anything comes in that our body doesn't recognize, whatever it might be, smoke, pollution, our body starts creating antibodies to fight this foreign um, object. And so antibodies create great amount of inflammation. And inflammation is the precursor to all disease, So this period. is, this explains all the congestion that people have. Yeah, yeah. 65% of the population cannot digest cow's milk. They have lactose intolerance. And it's so, you know, now the So a lot industry, of people don't know. They just don't so know. So many people don't know. They have right. no idea why they're waking up with headaches and they're waking up um, feeling congested, like they have a cold and it kind of gets a little bit better as the day goes along um, until they have more dairy. Stomach pain, bloating, gas, diarrhea, you know, and the best way to do it is just take it out for three weeks and see if you feel better. I mean, no harm, no foul. If yeah. you're not allergic to it or you don't have lactose intolerance, you'll feel the same way and it's something else. But if you are, oh my God, your whole life changes. So you're up against a billion dollar industry. I right. mean, you're you're talking about, uh, you know, milk is good. You're talking about something that is put into the bottles of babies from an early age and then we continue to consume for the rest of our lives. So why have you taken on this cause and this battle? Why is it, why are you so passionate about it? And why do you feel like something has to be done? I don't feel like we should be stealing something from another species for ourselves to think we're benefiting, but for something that is completely unnecessary. And not only that, making our population or human population very, very, very sick. So, so we're, the, I'm just here. It's the truth. Yeah. You ask like what it, that's it. I just finally was like, that's enough. So you're watching this from the sidelines for a long time. You're making a, a choice. You know, you've made a switch because you felt like it was good for you. Mm-hmm. And then at some point you decide, well, hold on a second. I know it's good for me. I've seen the results. Mm-hmm. I went and won a silver medal, you know, making a lifestyle change with my diet against what was common belief. And then you create this switch for good, right? Which is uh, the acronym S4G, right? Mm-hmm. S4G, it should roll off the tongue nicely. Um, S4G. Um, and, That's good. And so, yeah, so you've, you've got this absolute passion and drive to be able to want to do something. Um, 
is that is what was it that what was the impetus what was the catalyst for you to mm-hmm. say okay i gotta go out and do this for other people as well not just for me yeah i was um uh sitting on the couch watching olympic trials 2018 winter olympic trials you know different friends maybe going to make the team you know excited about how that felt at that time but so much happier on my couch with a glass of wine than doing the olympic trials um and a milk life commercial came on and i knew that that uh you know milk life is the partnership between the milk pet board and the united states olympic committee Mm. and it started back in 2008 supposed to go through 2020 um and so i knew about this partnership it was it was during the years that i was uh you know connected to the uss and there's big money there big money and all the advertising throughout the um olympic training centers it's everywhere dairy is everywhere and they push it and they shove it and we all know about the built with chocolate milk campaign too and so it's really i mean they're really they're they're using athletes and their performances to try and say that this is a healthy food or healthy fluid. And the irony here is based on what you're saying is that these athletes, these world-class athletes are based on science, are not performing as well as they would be if they weren't consuming this product. Absolutely. All day long. And they say in the commercial that I was watching, nine out of 10 Olympians grew up drinking milk as Mm. if what you drink as a five-year-old has right. anything to do with They're here you, because a, yeah. as a result yeah, of investing of drinking in this. cow's milk as, right. as like babies or, or something. So um, that was really the catalyst of where I just, I, 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 I just had had enough. I'd had enough of, of the lies and the misinformation. People are getting sick. 265 million cows are having their babies dragged away from them every year uh, for nothing, for no reason. What are we doing? This, when we have insane. other fuel sources oh where we gosh, can get yeah. the same nutrients. And better. And better. And, right. So you want those nutrients. You want everything you eat as an athlete. You yeah. want to be able to do something in your body that's productive. You want to be able to repair, replenish, recover. And you're going to do that with a food source that has most good with very little bad. So with cow's milk, you get some good because you get your micronutrients, but you get a whole lot of nasty and a whole lot of bad and some and, and fluid that's going to do a lot of damage to the human body. So you're saying it's not so, that it's not that there isn't goodness in in the product. It's yeah. just that there are these byproducts there that we don't need that we're not designed to digest, and so we can get those good things from other sources. So why not get it from those other sources? And yeah, right. So have you had? personally had any pushback from this industry like people <laughs> like people come to you and say hey Gatsy, oh it's this worse is- than that so when I had that thought on the couch and I thought I want to do something about this and I said somebody I actually said somebody needs to do something about this yeah and can I read the quote kind that of you the said, next you said, day I, yeah I just can't stand idly by and watch this uh this suffering and misinformation mm-hmm. I cannot watch it continue yeah and that's it that that's how i felt so i went to um uh some really talented people production company a, a, an incredible funder um louis Fisios, the director of the cove and um we filmed a commercial of seven vegan olympians that said you do not need cow's milk for performances and look at us look we, at we us and, and even you know so we took that commercial 
And we made it in about five weeks because from Olympic trials to the end of um, Olympics, we put it on NBC on the closing ceremonies of Olympic Games. We were supposed to air in uh, six cities across the nation. I'm out here in LA, can't wait. I was supposed to air at like 7.12 or something. Um, And it airs twice in Washington, D.C., the U.S. Olympic Committee freaks out, calls NBC, gets it pulled. To stop it making its way across right. the country. Because they're like freaked out because, you know, people have been watching milk commercials for three weeks. So to see, wait, this isn't actually good for me is shocking. Well, it I, is. I mean, Dutsy, it is a surprise. I mean, even, I know it is. Even I know, the information I know. that you've given me today, I've, I've done some research, but even just the way you've articulated a lot of this, it's really making me think, you know, it's like listening to you. I mean, one of the things I, I'm, I'm thinking I would like to try to see what would happen like if I, cause I do drink milk yeah, <laughs> and I've always loved milk. Um, yeah. And, but, uh, but listening to you, I'm sort of thinking, well, maybe I should try just to stop for like, wh- how long would it take me if I stopped having milk for say, what would I need to stop for a month before I saw differences in? Well, yeah. So you could switch for fun. You don't have to switch for good. You can take it. You could take so it step the, by is step. Is this come, some kind of program you have? Switch for fun? Is no, that, I just thought of it just now because oh, okay, you know, for fun. you don't. I don't want you to go into it feeling like this has to be forever. Yeah. You know, this is. So first of all, I I do not have any kind of cow's milk intolerance or allergy. So right. you may not either. Like right. I could eat a gallon of ice cream back in the day and I felt great. Right. Whereas most people are, are completely bent over, uh, 65% so of us anyway. So some people might end up being, they might switch and it is for the better. And some might just switch because it's for the for good. Meaning you may be fine to have milk. Some people may be fine to have milk. But what you're saying is it's deeper than that. A, it may affect your health, but it may also have the benefit where it will have the benefit of also taking away the need for the milk. Yeah. So it it you will be much better off health-wise if you stop it, hmm. the immediate, you were saying how long it would take, yeah, like right? The immediate changes, if you're not, if you don't have an allergy or intolerance to cow's yeah. milk, then you're not going to tomorrow be like, oh, my sniffles are gone and my, and my asthma is gone because you didn't have it in the first place. Right. However, what will change over time from the inflammation markers in your body, which mm-hmm. are the starters of all disease, all the way from, you know, heart disease to diabetes to autoimmune diseases, mm. that is the catalyst for starting those diseases. So, and animal foods are the source of inflammation, period. There's almost zero inflammation in plant foods. Mm. So that creates inflammation in your body, I should say. Um, It is significantly, significantly, significantly lower. So your health overall and your ability to age slower, because another thing, inflammation increases our aging. Hmm. So your biological age might be something, but I definitely, your chronological age will, will, will be completely different if you take out animal foods. How much has the world changed as far as a, a vegan lifestyle or, or um, uh, vegetarian lifestyle since yeah. 2012? Like just in the, in the last, yeah. say, six years. Big time, I think. Yeah, big time. I mean, in terms of just what I've noticed, um, I remember thinking, God, you know, I could never be a, a vegetarian just because I, there's just so many things I would I miss. used to think that too. I know. I, I, I'm I, like, and what would I eat? Yeah. And now my friends, I, I, I love going to India. I love eating mm. Indian food. I could yeah. easily yeah. be a vegetarian yeah. in India because the food is so extraordinary. But now mm. I'm finding there are more and more choices, vegetarian choices, and I'm finding myself eating less and less meat just because I'm loving the flavors and tastes of vegetarian food. And I feel like there's a bit of a revolution going on right now yeah. in terms of that awareness. And is that because I'm in the 
I live in the LA bubble and maybe it's happening in New York, but it's not right. happening in the yeah. rest of the country? No, or- it, it is. I mean, first of all, the reason that I think you like Indian food so much is because they use a ton of really rich, flavorful spices, yes. right? And herbs and marinades. All of that flavor is from plants. Yeah. Right? That's why it's amazing. It, right? Like, it's, just it's, it's incredible. incredible. All all flavor comes from plant. We never just throw like a dead animal on the barbecue. Right. We marinate it overnight. We tenderize it. We flavor it with all these wonderful herbs and spices. So that's where our flavor is coming from. Yeah. So that's, first of all, people think vegan or plant-based, no flavor. It's like, oh no, that's where the flavor resides yeah. in the first place. But I was just in Minneapolis last week. Yeah. And there were vegan restaurants everywhere. It was crazy. So it's it's happening not just on on the coast. There are places that are slightly more challenging than Definitely. others. But it's yeah, it's a million times easier. Well, than- and also it used to be. I remember trying some vegetarian food and people were like, oh, this is vegetarian chicken. And you know, 10, 15 years ago, trying it and going, oh man, there's no way I could eat oh, that. That's yeah. not anything. Yeah. But today, I've been fooled. I've had people say, okay, eat this and tell me what it is, and I'm like. Well, it's chicken with some kind of like it sounds like you know, t- and they're like, no, that's not chicken at all. Yeah, it's, it's a vegetarian choice, and I'm I'm really shocked. There's it, people doing the coolest stuff in the yeah, food space, right? It's just and, and it's stuff. more yeah. more accessible. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I guess if there's one, th- if you could have, if, if you've had a magic wand, right? Uh, if you could turn <laughs> your your um, what was your anger stick? If you could turn your right. anger stick into a magic wand. <laughs> with the I'll blue have to get dot back out it. of the closet. Maybe right. it is one by now. Uh, maybe you can do that with the blue dot on it. And you could <laughs> and you could just wave that that magic wand and you could change things. What's the what's the one thing you would change for people in terms of the way that they're eating right now? Like maybe something like a first step. What would you love to see? What's the biggest message you want to get out there to people? Drop dairy. I mean, it's what I'm doing. It's what I believe in. I wouldn't be doing it if I didn't believe in it with my whole heart and being the executive director of this of this nonprofit and this movement. And uh, it's it's what I spend all day, every day doing. So Is it, it would be the movement as a whole. I mean, we were talking about it's it's yeah. uh, it's. I feel like it's completely exploding. So I where mean, do people a, go if they want more information? They want to understand more and they want to you know dig in a little deeper. And they've been listening to you and they've been thinking, wow, uh, you really got me thinking. Yeah. What do they do? Um, so. Of course, they can come to switchforgood.org. And that's like the number four, um, not F-O-R. Uh, there's loads of resources on there. We even have a lactose quiz on there so you can discern whether you are lactose intolerant or not. Um, but there's great places like um, chooseveg.com. They have incredible, incredible resources and recipes. And then there's some um, fantastic vegan athletes that do great work. Nimai Delgado, the bodybuilder, he has a- um, He's a like bodybuilder and, and- Oh yeah, and, and he, he is ripped ha- and shredded. He was on the cover of Muscle and Fitness like three months ago and he is vegan. He actually is vegetarian since birth. He's never eaten a piece of meat in his life. What? Ever. And he's huge. Huge. And he has a whole like program, right? So, so, so the training, the workout and the yeah. food, um, Rich Roll does great work. David Carter, ex NFL player. So, and I'm, I'm saying the guys because most people, I think most, most men are the most challenged by, oh, I'm going to go vegetarian or vegan right. because they fits that machismo thing that for our whole lives, they've said in, in commercials and they've, Played it to men that you need meat. Man need meat. You know, men it's like Neanderthal. Men ki- well, men yeah. kill meat. Men first. kill meat. Men yeah. kill meat. We're men not killing our meat. own meat. No. We're you know we're having some. We're paying somebody yeah. else to do it for us. Um, so I think it's, it's incredibly inspiring for people to see 
big dudes, NFL players, bodybuilders, and even, you know, rich and ultra endurance. Because you're athlete, right. You don't think of a big dude, a big NFL player, you a, a, a bodybuilder being yep. a vegetarian or a vegan. You just don't think of it's that. It's just not something that pops in anyone's mind. <laughs> so the, 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 the number one takeaway then, Dotsie, from our conversation, what would you like to motivate people to do listening to you today? What was, what's the yeah. number one takeaway? Yeah. You know, I am um, forever inspired by people taking control of their own lives. So I feel like so many of us are kind of running this hamster wheel rat race and and not really stepping up and saying, I own this. This is my life and I have the control. We don't have control over a lot of peripheral things, but we do know mm-hmm. some things that we do have control of. Um, we have so control about what's put in our body. We definitely have control over that. We have a control. We have control over how we react to situations. We have control over how we treat other people and other species. We have control over what we're doing to our planet. There's quite a bit that we have control over. So step up to the plate, recognize that, and say, "I'm going to start making steps every day." towards making the place better because I can mm-hmm. self-realization that that turns into control the things that you do have control over for goodness yeah and not for harm obviously so you're 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 a disruptor for goodness I mean you're disrupting uh a, well you're disrupting an industry and you're saying hey let's rethink this and right and you're not you're not doing the, your, your best work yeah because right you're you're, you're not making it work. You're not disrupting. You're not actually reaching your goal if people aren't pissed about it. So, um, I don't know. Okay. Well, it still sounds a little scary, but, um, we're, we're up for it. Well, you're, you're a powerful woman with, oh, with, with, with a, well, you are, uh, both <laughs> with my physi- magic both wand. Phys- I am phys- physically and mentally. Yeah. Wait till you get that wand in your hand. You go home and you get that angry stick. Okay. And you just say angry stick. You're no longer an angry stick. You are my magic wand. All right. I am going to go dig that thing out. I'm telling you. That's, that's Just cool. wave it on people. And it, Thank you for that. You'll change the world just like that. You already are. When I'm walking around Santa Monica crazy with that anger stick and, you, and you'll be like, I don't know who that is. Like, you said it was a magic wand. <laughs> well, Phil told me it was a magic wand <laughs> with the little dot on it. Um, well, look, it's wonderful to talk to you. I, I always end the podcast with a couple of questions. Okay. Um, and the first question is, if you were going to take a road trip with anybody, uh, <clears throat> let's say you're going to drive across America and you could take three companions in the car with you, living yeah. or dead from, you know, uh, history. Yeah. Who would you take in the car with you? Um, well, can I take my magic wand as one? Absolutely. Well, okay. your magic wand, just that's part of you. But that's, I have to choose it to take it yeah. with me. Yeah. Um, gosh, I think... Uh, what about the head of the dairy industry or something? <laughs> I know. Well, gosh, I was going to fill a car with people I like. Oh, um, well, okay. I guess maybe I, well, maybe a good you, idea. <laughs> we maybe, got a better conversation yeah, with, sorry. Uh, without that happening. Um, I would... Nelson Mandela and Rosa Parks are two people that I wow. yeah, would powerful. like to meet and understand their story and what made them stand up with their actions and not so much their voice. Because Rosa Parks didn't say a word. She just walked the walk. And I, to me, that's always the most powerful way to get to anything. Because we do a lot of talking, you know, we're doing podcasts, we're talking, you know, it's just talking, talking, talking. So the, the action of how she found that within herself yeah. that bravery because I mean they could have just killed her right then and there I mean that's what you would have been afraid of at that moment yeah. I think um, that they would have just shot you or something and so she really so yeah I'm going to take them in my magic wand 
Because then, wow, could you imagine? <laughs> yeah. You could just Across lean out the window every now and again and just do you know a couple of those. <laughs> and then your, your last day on earth, like what would be, how would you plan that day if you knew you had your last day on earth? I think about that more often than I should, I think. What do you because mean I want to well, I want to make sure that I'm doing what I would be doing if this were my last day on earth. Right. And um, you want to live that way. Yeah. Yeah. I can honestly say it's what I did today. Wow. So that's I want to keep that going. That's really that's that's wonderful, right? Because how many people really do feel like they are living like they would be if it was their last day on earth? Which is to me as part of what this podcast is uh, all about is yeah. just trying to encourage people to say, ask yourself that question. If you knew you only had 24 hours to live, what would you mm -hmm. want to do? Mm -hmm. Like, what would you regret not having done when you take your last breath? Mm -hmm. I was lucky enough to go on Oprah a number of times. And that was the question that we put out to the audience uh. was if you were going to take your last breath tomorrow at three o'clock, what would you most regret not doing in your life? Yeah. And God, it does force heavy. you, but it forces you to Oof. think, yeah. I should be doing it, right? Yeah, more critically. Yeah, I haven't yeah. spoken to, uh, you know, mm. my, my uncle for whatever years because of some misunderstanding, yeah. whatever yeah. it is, so. Yeah, more, I mean, it would involve more hugging than my day involved today so far, for yeah. sure. Like I'll more, give you a hug more to, Okay, all right, yeah. then we'll up that ante. Yeah, and, yeah. okay. Uh, it's wonderful to talk to you. You, Like I said, you're an inspiration. I was so proud to see you at the Olympics after... Thank you know, having you. ridden with you back in 1998 and then just to see you there i'm like wow this woman is crazy strong and <laughs> and, and you did oh, so well yeah. thank you for having me and, and thanks congrats for the on australians this. Yeah. yeah yeah no worries there i'm, I'm from new yeah. zealand i <laughs> no, I, I don't know. know how i feel about I you beating the new zealanders but at least I you beat know. the australians they were uh, always my favorite girls at kiwis i gotta tell you were they? and it's my favorite place on the planet yeah they're just good people too. they're good people yeah, yeah. Just, they're just cool to be around you are awesome Thank you so yeah, much. Yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate it. You can watch this podcast online at philcogan.com. And let me know what's on your bucket list. You never know. You might be my next guest. Don't forget, ticket before you kick it. <laughs>